0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fatal Female Fridays. My name is Ashley.
1: And I'm Alexa.
0: And this is Fatal Female Fridays. So today, we're covering the case of Mary Bell. The hint for today is, it's just a prank, bro. So how do you feel about that, Alexa?
1: (laughs) Is this going to be like a TikTok challenge gone wrong?
0: No. No, it's not. Mm. All right. Well, let's begin 1960s, Newcastle upon Tyne in the United Kingdom was going through major urban renewal projects and reconstruction. Many slums were demolished so that modern houses and flats can be constructed. Sadly, many families lived in the buildings marked for demolition and had to wait for rehousing by the council. Children frequently played in or near the demolished and abandoned buildings. One of these children was Martin Brown. So normally on Fatal Female Fridays, I talk about you know, the killer or the murderer first, but today I'm actually gonna talk about the victims first. On May 25th of 1968, at approximately 3 p.m., three children found Martin in an upstairs bedroom at 85 St. Margaret's Road. The house was abandoned. He was laying on his back with his arms stretched above his head. There were no signs of violence. There were specks of blood and foam around his mouth. A local workman arrived and tried to do CPR on Martin, but it didn't work. Martin was dead. Two local girls came to the bedroom door, but were told to leave. Those girls went to Martin's aunt. They told her, quote, one of your sisters, Burns, has just had an accident. We think it's Martin, but we can't tell because there's blood all over him, end quote. They think it's Burns? So Burns, in their language, is like a little kid. So they're essentially saying, hey, one of your sister's kids we think is dead but you can't
1: tell it's there's blood, blood everywhere yeah
0: yes but
1: well why would you even say anything you're like we don't know if it is but it probably is it's kind of messy
0: yeah well remember how i'm telling you about these two girls keep them in the back of your mind put a put a little pin in it put a little pin in <laughs> okay. it okay so the next day dr bernard knight conducted a Martin. The police had a theory that Martin died of poisoning by ingesting tablets, because there were tablets found near his body. Though the cause of death couldn't be determined, Dr. Knight was able to rule out the police's theory. On May 26, a nursery was vandalized. It appears the people who did this entered by peeling tiles off of a slate roof. Books were torn. Desks were upturned. Ink and paint were smeared all over the property. The next day, the staff discovered what happened and notified police. But not only did they find a vandalized place, they found four notes claiming responsibility for killing Martin Brown. Now, I'm going to give you guys a trigger warning. There's going to be a lot of things in the notes against the LGBT community. And I just wanna let you all know, me and my sister are LGBT allies, so we vehemently disagree with what's on the notes, but we thought you guys should know what's on the notes. So, on the first note, it says, quote, I murder so that I may come back, end quote. The second note, quote, we didn't murder Martin Brown, fuck off, you bastard, end quote. Third note, quote, fuck off, we murder, watch out, fanny and faggot, end quote. Fourth note, quote, you are mice, why, because, I think they meant because, because, we murdered Martin, go brown, you bet, look out there, our murders about by Fanny and und faggot, you screws. End quote. The police thought it was a childish prank.
1: That's what I was just about to say. I'm like, is this a joke? Am I a joke to you? Like it, it's it it was overkill because it was just too it was too much. Like you can be like, yeah, I did it. The
0: end. Well, trust me. Whenever I whenever you find out who the real killer is, you're gonna be you're going to be upset or shocked, maybe both. So on May 29th, shortly before the funeral of Martin Brown, the two girls from before went to the mother of Martin Brown's home. They asked to see her son. The mother told the girls that they couldn't see him because, well, he was dead. One of the girls said, quote, Oh, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin. End quote.
1: Well, if that isn't a red flag, I don't know what is. (laughs) Oh, I can't. Oh, you want to play with my kid? Well, you can't because he's dead.
0: Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see his body. So, another thing that I found out. So, I was reading up on, like, United Kingdom culture. And in their culture, they never see a body. So, Mm -hmm. you know how, like, at least in America, if the person's, like, face and body is presentable... You know, you'll see them in an open casket, or if they're like really disfigured as a closed casket. I found out through cultural context in the United Kingdom, it's a closed casket no matter what. Mm -hmm. So that already, and they're in the United Kingdom, so that's already like red flag right there. Next, let's talk about Brian Howe. So remember that stuff before happened at the end of May. So we're gonna go to the end of July of the same year. So on July 31st of 1968, 3-year-old Brian was last seen by his parents in the streets outside the house. He was playing with a sibling, his dog, and the two girls from before. When he didn't return home, family and neighbors searched for him, and at 11 p.m. a search party found Brian's body between two large concrete blocks. The police noticed that the body was discovered, was covered with grass and weeds, making it appear that the body was trying to be covered up. Brian's lips were blue, and there were bruises and scratches on his neck. A pair of broken scissors were near his feet. Okay.
1: Wait, well, how old are these girls?
0: They're 10 and 13, and this boy, Brian, he is three. Three.
1: And nobody saw these kids all playing together?
0: Well, actually they did. And that's whenever just just you wait. Okay. Just you wait. Alright, all right. so the coroner found out that Brian died of strangulation, was and he was deceased for almost eight hours before the body was found. The killer squeezed Brian's nostril with one hand and gripped his throat with the other. Brian's hair was cut off. Wounds were on his legs, not to get graphic, but his genitals were partially mutilated and the letter M was attempted to be carved on his stomach. The coroner determined the killer must be a child due to the small amount of force used to murder Brian. There were gray and maroon fibers on Brian's clothes and shoes they didn't match any clothing from the house household. So it was concluded that the fibers were from his killer.
1: Well, what are the girls' names again?
0: Oh, I haven't got to the girls' names yet, but, okay. but, oh, just you wait, girl. Just you wait. We are getting there. But yes. So this launched a manhunt for the killer, Over a 100 detectives were assigned to the investigation and interviewed more than 1,200 children were questioned by August 2nd. Two of the children were interviewed on August 1st were girls named Mary and Norma Bell. Though they shared the same last name, they were not related. Witnesses already informed police that the girls were seen playing with Brian before his body was discovered. Both girls were evasive and contradictory in their statements. They admitted to playing with Brian, but denied seeing him after lunch. Further questioning the following day, Mary stated an eight-year-old boy was playing with Brian and she saw him hit Brian. She claimed that the eight-year-old boy was covered in grass and weeds and had a small pair of scissors, quote, I saw him trying to cut a cat's tail off with the scissors, but there was something wrong with them. One leg was broken or bent, said, end quote, said Mary. This incriminating evidence made Detective Chief Inspector James Dobson believe that Mary was the killer because only the police knew about the scissors at the crime scene. The eight-year-old boy was questioned. He had an alibi. He was at Newcastle International Airport on July 31st with numerous witnesses corroborating that he was there.
1: Yeah, I think it was married
0: too. <laughs> You're like, I think it was married too. All right, so August 4th, Norma's parents contacted police stating Norma wanted to confess what she knew about Brian Howe's murder. Now Dobson arrived and asked what she knew. Now Norma stated that Mary took her to see Brian's body. She went on to explain that Mary showed Norma how she strangled Brian, according to Norma. Mary stated she enjoyed strangling Brian and explained in detail how she murdered him, including inflicting marks on Brian with a razor blade. Norma showed police the crime scene and revealed the location of the hidden razor blade, a drawing Norma made of the wounds inflicted on the boy's abdomen precisely matched those described by the coroner. Oh, they're done. Oh, you think they're done. You think they're done. But no, no, there is more. Mary, who also goes by May, um, a section of Norma's confession reads... Quote, May then said, the blocks, Norma, ho and we went along to the concrete blocks. Then May said to Brian, lift up your neck. Just when she said that, there were some boys playing around and Lassie, Brian's, Brian Howell's dog, was barking. She had followed us down. May then said, get away or I'll set the dog on you. The boys went away. May said to Brian again, "Lift up your neck." End quote. Awful. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like what happened was while, or like before, she was going to kill him. Um, the boys came. The boys came, and then she's like, "I'm going to get the dogs on you," and then they got scared and ran away. So they could have. So if, it, yeah. if they could have stopped it, but mm-hmm. you know, you're a little kid. You're not thinking, and, and you're in elementary school. So I doubt you're thinking like, "Oh, well." this girl's gonna murder this little boy (laughs) Yeah. you know August 5th police visited Mary's home she became defensive when it was stated there were discrepancies in her previous statements she shouted quote you're trying to brainwash me I will get a solicitor to get me out of this end quote later in the day Norma made a full confession to being present when Mary strangled Brian according to Norma when the three were alone on the tin lizzie that's like a little play place that they go to mary seemed to go all funny pushing the child into the grass and attempting to strangle him before stating to her my quote my hands are getting thick take over end quote she had then run from the scene leaving mary alone with brian forensics on the clothing discovered on bro on brian's body were a precise match to a woolen dress owned by mary and for a skirt owned by norma and the same gray fibers were found on martin's body so at this point you think they're done oh (laughs) don't be a little fool okay so before we get to formal charges at this point i think we should talk a little bit about mary Because let's face it, there's always something about Mary. So let's talk a little bit about Mary and her upbringing. So Mary's mother, Elizabeth, also known as Betty, was a local prostitute who was frequently absent from the home. Mary was Betty's second child, born when Betty was only 17 years old. There are conflicting reports on William Bell, a.k.a. Billy, possibly being Mary's biological father or not. So mama's baby, daddy's maybe. Um, Billy was a violent alcoholic and criminal who had a long rap sheet, including being arrested for armed robbery. It was clear from the start that Mary was a neglected and unwanted child. According to Mary's Aunt Isa, Aunt Isa from her mother's side, The hospital staff tried to place Mary in her mother's arms. Her mother's response, quote, take that thing away from me, end quote.
1: Mm, That's how how killers start. Their, Their parents don't love them.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know because I understand, like, for a lot of serial killers or you know, criminals, it's like, oh, well, my parents didn't love me enough, and, you know, I'm not saying that's not sad, that's sad, but at the end of the day, whenever you grow up and stuff, like, you need to love yourself.
1: Well, they were 10 and 13.
0: Well, yeah, well, yeah, at that point, yes, but, like, whenever you grow up, you know, you know, because I know some people have, like, abusive family households or dysfunctional family households, and it's hard, and especially in her situation, which I'm going to get into, but, I feel like therapy needs to be more um, readily available. Now, this was 1960s um, United Kingdom, so I don't know how, you know, health insurance or you know, medical institutions or mental health facilities work in United Kingdom. But at least in America, I feel like mental health needs to be taken more seriously, and I feel like everyone should have easy access to mental health. In my opinion. Throughout her young childhood, Mary suffered many injuries while alone with her mother. This made family members believe Betty intentionally tried to kill or harm Mary. In 1960, Betty dropped Mary from a first floor window. In another incident, Betty piled Mary with sleeping pills. Once she sold Mary to a mentally unstable woman, who was unable to have children of her own. Mary's older sister, Catherine, went to the woman's house to reclaim Mary and take her back home.
1: Yeah, that's sad.
0: Yes. Like, she was so unwanted that she just kind of, like, shipped her off to, like, some other woman. Like, my thing is, if you don't want your kid, like, give your child up for adoption. Give it to another family member. But don't just send her off to some Some crazy woman. Betty repeatedly refused to take custody of Mary. She is alleged to have allowed or encouraged her clients to sexually abuse Mary. Growing up, Mary showed disturbed and unpredictable behaviors, including mood swings and bedwetting. She was known to frequently fight with children at school and attempted to strangle and suffocate many children didn't want to socialize with Mary. (laughs) I wonder why. Um, So Mary spent most of her free time with 13-year-old neighbor Norma Bell. On May 11, 1968, a three-year-old boy was dazed and bleeding near St. Margaret's Road, uh, Scottswood. The boy... that he was playing with Mary and Norma on top of an air raid shelter, and one of them pushed him to the ground seven feet below. He had severe lacerations to his head. Parents of three girls claimed to police that Mary had tried to strangle the girls as they played in the sandpit. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, it looks like they have a history of this.
1: Yeah. Cause remember. But Norma's trying to put it all on Mary.
0: Exactly, exactly. So both girls denied responsibility for the boy and commented that they had just seen him after he had already fallen. When questioned about strangling the three girls, Mary denied any acknowledgement of the incident. However, Norma stated, quote, Mary went to one of the girls and said, "'What happens if you choke someone? "'Do they die? Then Mary put both hands round the girl's throat and squeezed. The girl started to go purple. I told Mary to stop, but she wouldn't. Then she put her hands around Pauline's throat and then started going purple as well. Another girl, Susan Cornish, came up and Mary did the same thing to her. End quote. Due to the ages of both girls, they were simply given a warning about their behavior.
1: Maybe they're like, cuz you know how a, a couple years ago they had, like, the pass out challenge? Like...
0: Wait, there was a pass out challenge? Wait, what?
1: Yeah, like, you would you would be against the wall and your friend would put your hand on your chest and you would hold your breath, and it was, like, maybe 30 seconds, and then they let go, you'd pass out.
0: That's horrible!
1: Yeah, so maybe they're like, oh, well, I'll just choke you and see how long it takes, you know?
0: That's awful. That is awful. Okay, yeah, I didn't know a challenge existed. <laughs> Us millennials, we learn new things every day. All right. <laughs> so now let's go back to the formal charges. Brian Howe was buried on August 7th of 1968. According to Dobson, Mary watched as the child's coffin was brought from the home at the time of the funeral processions. Quote, she stood there laughing. Laughing and rubbing her hands, I thought, my God, I've got to bring her in. She'll do another one, end quote, says Dobson. Both girls were formally charged with the murder of Brian Howe. Mary replied, quote, that's all right by me, end quote. Um, Norma burst into tears, simply proclaiming, quote, I never. I'll pay you back for this, end quote to mary yeah she said that to mary um and then mary whenever she was arrested she's like that's all right with me
1: yeah mary doesn't care (laughs) mary is
0: mm, mary's doing the most yeah
1: she thinks she's above it all
0: oh she thinks she's above it all now Mm -hmm. okay so getting back Mary prepared a written statement stating she was present when Brian was murdered, but says the murder was committed by Norma. She also admitted she and Norma had broken into the Woodland Crescent Nursery the day after the murder of Martin Brown, defacing the property before the two had written the four the four handwritten notes claiming responsibility for the murder which i think we all kind of knew already that they broke in and mm-hmm. and wrote those notes okay so after their arrest both girls had to go through psychological evaluations norma was found to be intellectually dis- delayed mary was concluded to suffer from a psychopathic personality disorder in his official report compiled for the Director of Public Prosecutions, Dr. David Westbury concluded, quote, Mary's social techniques were primitive and take the form of automatic denial, integration, uh, manipulation, complaining, bullying, fight, or violence, end quote. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Yeah. In all fairness, after something like that, I do think that both of both of them should have been under a psychological evaluation. Oh, that
1: wasn't a psychological evaluation. They just said it. They were just like, <laughs> "Um, you're schizo and you're mentally delayed."
0: No, the, no. The, shut up, Alexa. They, those were yes. These were actually psychological. But they didn't get evaluations. Um, so.
1: But they didn't get them help. I mean. Question mark.
0: Question mark. I'm asking you. Um. No. Eventually, they did. Um get help later on but um essentially even though Norma was 13 they said she had the mental capacity i think of like an eight-year-old mm. so she was you know slow to put it nicely um, yeah december 5th 1968 the trials for the murders of martin brown and brian howe began both girls pleaded not guilty even though both defense lawyers advised against it, the judge waived the defendant's rights to anonymity on account of their age. So the media was allowed to publicize the names, ages, and photographs of the girls.
1: That's awful. I know. Is that just like a British thing? Or is that just, or is that everywhere? Because like here, that if you're under 18, they try to keep it on the DL.
0: Well, I don't know much about British law. I don't know. But from what I've gathered, at least back in those days, um, if you were under a certain age, you would you would go to the judge and be like, listen, they're under age. We don't want to ruin their lives for whenever they become adults. So can we not publicize? But the judge is like, nope, fuck it. I, uh, publicize anything. And from what I've gathered, whenever I was reading reports, the media was only like two rows away from the family. So imagine two rows behind you, people are photographing you and taking pictures and recording you and Mm -hmm. that, that had to have been a lot. And, and you're only 10 and 13 years old and the 13 year old has a mental capacity of an eight year old. So essentially an eight and a 10 year old are being publicized all throughout the, the country and possibly the world. I don't, you know, I don't know the. What was going on in 1960s United Kingdom or world, but you know that that had to have been a lot. So I actually vehement, even though I think what they did was wrong because obviously you shouldn't murder people. I feel like the judge publicizing their information like that was a bad call. Uh,
1: um, maybe it was a sound message.
0: Oh, so you think they were being used as an example? Mm-hmm. Like if you do this shit, everyone and your mother <laughs> will know what you did.
1: Or like the other young killers out there
0: to like scare them out of it yeah Mm -hmm. okay so the prosecution outlined the evidence prosecutors believed both girls worked in unison and were equally culpable and that they knew what they did was wrong and that the and what the results would be the long story short because there was a lot of evidence (laughs) because i needed to shorten this So the long story short is that both girls claimed that the other did the killing, but they were innocent. Norma's mother testified that months before the murder of Brian Howe, she and her husband had discovered Mary attempting to strangle Norma's younger sister, Susan, and that she only released her grip on her daughter's throat after her husband had punched Mary on the shoulder.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, on the
0: shoulder. I was like, punched her in the face. No. No, he didn't punch her in the face. That'd be fun. I'm sorry. That would be funny, though. An eight-year-old strangling your kid. Pow! Yeah. (laughs) I mean, on one hand, like, I don't believe in violence against children. But on another hand, you're strangling my daughter. I would push her off. Yeah. Like, yell at her. her? Yeah, I wouldn't punch her in the shoulder. (laughs) Or in the face. But no, he punched her in the shoulder, not her face. Mm -hmm. Um. A child psychologist or psych, yes, a psych- psychiatrist um, named Ian Frazier then testified that Norma's mental age was a, was a little less than an eight-year-old and that although her capacity of knowing right from wrong was limited, she was capable of appreciating the criminality of the acts she was accused of committing. So they're saying that even though- she, knew what she was doing. Yeah, she knew what she was doing. That's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Norma's defense emphasized that no real evidence exists against Norma except Mary's accusations. Norma's defense explained to the jury that Norma shouldn't have to pay for the actions of Mary. Mary's defense stated that Mary had a broken background and a dysfunctional family, that blurred the lines between fantasy and reality for her. He says due to Mary's environment and genetic factors, this has impaired Mary's responsibility for her acts.
1: Both of them go to jail.
0: You think both of them should go to jail?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I have a question. Do you think that Because I told you about her background. Like, she was possibly sold into prostitution by her mother. Mm -hmm. Her mother didn't want her. Her father, well, alleged father, maybe father, was a bad criminal and up to, like, armed robbery. And, like, it seemed like she grew up with a horrible home life. So do you think that her past and her dysfunctional family, like, impaired what she believed was real and what she believed was fake? Or do you, oh, so you don't, so you're like, nope she knew what she was doing was wrong. Okay. And now the conviction. Mary was cleared of murder, but convicted of the manslaughter of both boys. Norma was acquitted of all charges. Mary was sentenced to be detained in indefinite sentence of imprisonment. For years, Mary was transferred between many institutions. She claimed at age 13 that she was sexually abused by the members of staff and several inmates. She unsuccessfully applied for parole at age 16.
1: Yeah, uh, I think Norma should have went to.
0: You think Norma should have went to?
1: Yeah, cause cause she knew right from wrong, and she if you see a kid choking some other kid, and you're just like okay this is normal
0: yeah I believe because like even at eight years old I I know this is going to sound horrible but I was a tattletale whenever I was young shut oh shut up Alexa (laughs) so like if something like if I saw something happen I would go right to a teacher or right to my parents and be like you know what so and so hit someone or did this that the other so even though she has a mental capacity of an eight-year-old I feel like before the kids died, or at least after the first murder that she knew about, she should have went to her parents and been like, yep, I saw Mary strangling a person. Now he's dead. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just my opinion. So, but wait, there's more. So in September of 1977, she escaped from prison. Period. What? Period. Yeah, on, Mary. <laughs> yeah, Mary. Mary's doing the most. So Mary escaped from prison. When she was recaptured, her prison privileges were removed for 28 days. In July of 1979, the Home Office transferred Mary to HM Prison Askham uh, Grange to prepare Mary for her release into society mary was supervised she got jobs as a secretary and a waitress to prepare for her release in may of 1980 at the age of 23 she was released she was granted anonymity and a new name in may of 1984 mary gave birth to a daughter her daughter grew up not knowing her mother's past until 1998 a reporter found mary's location the media revelation forced mary and her daughter to relocate to a safe house by undercover officers
1: yeah that's sad because now she just wants to live a normal life she's like i'm rehabilitated i have a family i'm just trying to chill and then a reporter comes and just ruins it all
0: right because on one hand i think what she did was wrong but on another hand you know, based on their court system and whatnot, she paid her debts to society. Yeah. You know, she, you know, granted, I don't think she should have escaped, but, you know, Mm -hmm. she, she did what she had to do. She served her time. And even the court's like, yeah, we'll give you a new name. We'll let you start over in your life. And then the reporter's like, nope, nope. I'm telling you. And you know what's sad, which we don't really talk about, Remember she had a daughter and her daughter didn't know her mother was like this. Mm -hmm. So imagine us finding out like that our mom was secretly a serial killer whenever she was like 10. Yeah. Like that has to be devastating for the daughter being like, I thought my mom was a normal person. And now I find out that she was a serial killer. So imagine that conversation, sweetie, sit down. So back in the day I used to kill people. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, so that had to have been hard. So anonymity was granted to Mary's daughter from her birth until 18 years old. In May of 2003, Mary won a high court battle to have her her and her daughter's anonymity extended for life. So remember, if once her child turned 18, then it was going to be revealed to everyone who she was, but she's like, no, no. (laughs) we're not doing this again, extended for life. It later was extended to Mary's granddaughter, who was born in 2009. The court prohibits divulging any aspect of their lives that may identify them. In 1998, with the help of author Gita Serini, Ser- Serene, Mary provided her account of her life before and after the crimes. The book is called cries unheard the story of Mary Bell according to the author Mary freely admits the abuse she suffered as a child doesn't doesn't um excuse her of her crimes final thoughts um
1: uh, Mary now we stand we stand Mary now cuz she's like I lived I learned what I've been through doesn't isn't an excuse Norma, she's canceled
0: Okay, so you stand, Mary, but you cancel Norma. Yeah, I I disagree with the court's, you know, uh, judgment judgment and conclusion in regards to Norma, because I feel like Norma was culpable. Like, I don't think that she was just an innocent flower just looking at stuff. And even if you were looking, again, why didn't you report this shit? So, yeah, and I get it. They're like, oh, well, she has the mental capacity of an eight-year-old. But even the child psychiatrist was like, she knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. So I have no sympathy for Norma. I think Norma should have also went to jail as long as Mary. But that's just my thoughts. Yeah. Um, in regards to Mary, on one hand, I have mixed feelings. So on one hand, what she did was, was awful. But like you said... Like I said before, she paid her debt to society and she tried to live a normal, a normal life. And then, you know, reporters and everyone is like hounding her and revealing her, her business. So that all had to have been hard, but those, those are the end of my final thoughts. Do you have any more thoughts or is that it? That's it. All right. So thank you all for watching Fatal Female Friday. Don't forget to share, like, subscribe, click the notification bell. tell everyone and your mama to watch fatal female fridays thank you for watching fatal female fridays bye Bye. (laughs) that was a long goodbye yeah all right we're done